Hello, welcome friends to the first episode of The Prisoner of Zelda by Anthony Hope. First chapter. The Raffindians with the world on the elsewhere. I wonder when in the world you're going to do anything, Rudolph, said my brother's wife. My dear Rose, I answered, laying down my egg spoon. Why in the world should I do anything? My position is a comfortable one. I have an income nearly sufficient for my wants. No one's income is ever quite sufficient, you know. I enjoy and envy your social position. I am brother to Lord Burlston and brother-in-law to that charming lady, the Countess. Behold, it is enough. You are nine and twenty, you observe, and you have done nothing but knock about. It is true. Our family doesn't need to do things. This remark of mine rather annoyed Rose, for everybody knows, and therefore there can be no harm in interfering in referring to the fact that pretty and accomplished as she herself is, her family is hardly of the same standing as the Raffentians. Besides her attractions, she possessed a large fortune, and my brother Robert was wise enough not to mind about her ancestry. Ancestry is, in fact, a matter concerning which the next observation of Rose's has some truth. Good families are generally worse than any other, she said. Upon this, I stoked my hair. I knew quite well what she meant. I'm so glad Robert is black, she cried. At this moment, Robert, who rises at seven and works before breakfast, came in. He glanced at his wife. Her cheek was slightly flushed. He patted it caressingly. What's the matter, my dear? he asked. She objects to my doing nothing and having red hair, said I, in an injured tone. Oh, of course, he can't help his hair, admitted Rose. It generally crops out once in a generation, said my brother. So does the nose. Rudolph has got both of them. I wish they didn't crop out, said Rose, still flushed. I rather like them myself, said I, and rising, I bowed to the portrait of Countess Amelia. My brother's wife uttered an exclamation of impatience. I wish you'd take that picture away, Robert, said she. My dear, he cried. Good heavens, I added. Then it might be forgotten, she continued. Hardly, with Rudolph about, said Robert, shaking his head. Why shouldn't why should it be forgotten? I asked. Rudolph, exclaimed my brother's wife, blushing very prettily. I laughed and went on my egg. At least I had shelved the question of what, if anything, I ought to do. And, by the way, of closing the discussion, and also, I must admit, of exasperating my strict little sister-in-law a trifle more, I observed. I rather like being an elf girl myself. When I read a story, I skip the explanations. Yet, the moment I begin to write one, I find that I must have an explanation. For it is manifest that I must explain why my sister-in-law was vexed with my nose and hair and why I ventured to call myself an elf girl. 
as eminent as I was prepared. The Rassendays have been for many generations, yet participation in their blood, of course, does not, at first sight, justify the boast of a connection with the grander stock of the Ellsbergs or a claim to be one of that royal house. For what relationship is there between Ruritania and Rolston, between the palace at Strelso or the castle of Zenda, and number 305 Park Lane, London? Well then, I must premise that I am going perforce to rake up the very scandal which my dear Lady Burlston wishes forgotten. In the year 1733, George II, sitting then on the throne, peace reigning for the moment, and the King and the Prince of Wales being not yet at large affairs, there came on a visit to the English court a certain prince, who was afterwards known to history as Rudolph III of Ruritania. The prince was a tall, handsome young fellow, marked, maybe marred, it is not for me to say, by a somewhat unusually long, sharp, and straight nose, and a mass of dark red hair. In fact, the nose and the hair which have stamped the Ellsberg's time out of mind. He stayed some months in England, where he was most courteously received. Yet, in the end, he left rather under a cloud. For he fought a duel. It was considered highly well-bred of him to waive all questions of his rank with a nobleman, well known in the society of the day, not only for his own merits, but as the husband of a very beautiful wife in that duel. Prince in that duel, Prince Rudolph received a severe wound, and recovering therefrom, was adroitly smuggled off by the Ruritanian ambassador, who had found him a pretty handsome. The nobleman was not wounded in the duel, but in the morning, being wrong and damp on the occasion of the meeting, he contracted a severe chill, chill, and failing to throw it off, he died some six months after the departure of Prince Rudolph. Without having found leisure to adjust his relations with his wife, who after another two months bore an heir to the title and estates of the family of Burlston, this lady was the Countess Amelia, whose my picture, whose picture, sorry, my sister-in-law wished to remove from the drawing room in Park Lane, and her husband was James, fifth Earl of Burlston and twenty-second Baron Rassendale, both in the peerage of England and a knight in the Garter. As for Rudolph, he went back to Ruritania, married a wife, and ascended the throne. Whereon his progeny in the direct line have sat from then till this very hour, with one short interval. And finally, if you walk through the picture galleries at Burlston, among the 50 portraits or so of the last century and a half, you will find five or six, including that of the sixth Earl, distinguished by long, sharp, straight noses and a quantity of dark red hair. These five or six have also blue eyes, whereas among the Rassendales, dark eyes are the commonest. That is the explanation, and I am glad to have finished it. The blemishes and honourable lineage are a delicate subject, and certainly this hereditary we hear so much about is the finest scandal-monger in the world. It laughs at discretion and writes strange entries between the lines of the peerages.